Warning, the following podcast has been classified as insanely lucrative. Listener discretion is advised. People will come back and say, well, you said in podcast number one that, you know, I should do this. And now you're saying something else. Your attention, please. please. Listening to the AMPM podcast may cause recurring revenue stream and unfair, unfair advantages over your competitors. Other side effects may include better wallets, fired bosses, and longer vacations. Listen at your own risk. Here's your host, seven-figure entrepreneur and online marketing madman, Manny Coates. Manny Coates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host. This is the show where we discuss how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show. As a matter of fact, I was watching a Quentin Tarantino film. You know, the one with Samuel Jackson. Oh yeah, wait, that's all of his films. But anyways, while watching this Quentin Tarantino film, and believe me, it was about three hours long, I was making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. So I did this fantastic interview with a guy named Kevin King, and I'm gonna apologize right now in advance for a few audio glitches you'll hear. There's some cuts that uh, happened for no reason, and uh, Kevin was on a cell phone, so the audio quality on his end isn't the best, but the information is amazing. So make sure you listen to every single minute of this podcast. All right, here we go, guys. Hey, guys, I am here with Kevin King, and he's always doing ninja stuff. Kevin King, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, Manny. I have a question for you. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be wondering right off the bat. Um, you're, you're pretty successful with Amazon FBA. If you don't mind me asking, how much are you doing in terms of sales per month at the current moment? And right now we're doing uh, in the low six figures uh, per month and uh, growing. Wow. Okay, so that's really good. So how did you get into this? How did you get into Amazon FBA? Well, I've been dealing with Amazon for years. I'm one of those guys that has an old school account, so you know I can get the uh, daily withdrawals. Uh, I don't have to wait every every two weeks. So that that kind of tells you how far back I go. But I've dabbled on Amazon. You know, I'm a big customer on Amazon. I, I buy probably tens of thousands of dollars of stuff just personally and for my business through Amazon every year as a customer. And then I've sold stuff in the past uh, on Amazon. Just uh, I guess that's why I have this old school account. It's odds and ends around the house. You know, instead of throwing it up on eBay, uh, I might throw it up on Amazon or something like that. And so, uh, and then I've been dealing with Amazon for about 15 years in another business of mine in a program called Amazon Advantage, which is uh, basically for media and books and DVDs and that type of thing, where they actually issue purchase orders and you send your stuff in on consignment and, and they pay you. So I have a calendar business uh, that I've had for about 20 years, and so we wholesale basically to them on that side. And that's different than the FBA. It's not, the, not even the same account. It's a whole different login and everything. Um, but uh, been doing that, and then I, I saw about two, three years ago, I actually stumbled across something online where some of the people were starting to do this private label stuff, and I, uh, I'm kicking myself now, but uh, at the time, I just like, yeah, oh, that looks interesting. I need to check that out further and, and, and delve into that, and I didn't. I was just busy with other businesses and other things, and I didn't do it. If I would have got in then, things uh, probably been, would be rocking and rolling a lot better than they are even now, uh, but... Uh, so I started about a year ago with FBA. I decided to give this a shot, and I 
I had a buddy of mine. We did a little bit of retail arbitrage um, just to kind of get the get the uh, get my feet wet and figure out the system and see how it, how it works to ship stuff into Amazon and how they deal with everything uh, on, on that side. And I quickly realized that this is way too much work for way too little return. And I'm not going to be able to make a living really off of that if you know, the kind of living that I want to make. You can make good money off of that if you do it right, but it's, I, I want I wanted more. So, and he was my little friend that was helping, wasn't real motivated. So I was like, you know what? See you later. I'm going to go do this private label stuff. And I come from a background of developing products because in the calendar business, I've been printing, we uh, print in actually in Korea and South Korea, and I've done stuff in Hong Kong, and I've used to do a, quite a few collectibles, so I would develop uh, high-end collectibles that, for the baseball card market and uh, other things like that. So product development is nothing nothing strange to me. Okay. So I decided, let's, let's get into the FBA. And so I started uh, doing heavy research last May of 2015, listening to every podcast I could find and downloading Kindle books. And I'm a information whore, and so when I get into something, I, I, I'm all in. So I will try to turn over every leaf and try to become a master at it as quick as I can. And so I went in hog wild and started developing and researching my first products in May of last year, of 2015. And then uh, the first product launched in uh, end of July 2015. And then since then, added uh, up, up to six products, actually seven products right now. Um, that are, that are actually live on Amazon. I really don't count two of them because the first two I launched, uh, I didn't know exactly how to do properly do the product research, and so they, they really don't sell, and they're in highly competitive niches, and I've kind of abandoned them. Okay. So I'm just letting those uh, sell on through. Um, so that's uh, that's how I got started. That's awesome. So it sounds like there's a common theme with a lot of the uh, the successful guys, the ones that are doing pretty well, where the very first product or products initially just fail or they don't do well that happened to me you know my first products i just didn't do the the correct research and i have two SKUs that you know essentially are just liquidating one of them's gone now and the other one is just sitting there slowly a couple sales a day going away and that that's what happened to you as well initially it sounds like yeah i've got two two and actually in the beauty category that are exactly that you know that i went by that formula that you know all the little gurus and all the podcasters and you don't do this but a lot of the other guys that teach you know get something that's small lightweight easy to handle uh you know everybody else has that same idea so uh, unfortunately when i picked the product in may last year there was you know probably six or seven guys selling that particular product by the time i got it launched there's about a hundred of them um and, and so it's just basically and the product itself uh really wasn't it was a serum i mean I, i'll be i'll tell people what it was i don't care it's an, it's an eyelash serum and there's there's really no differentiation. I mean, I, I try to make the packaging a little bit different, but a serum's a serum, um, pretty much. Um, and so it's really hard uh, to, to differentiate yourself. So I quickly learned that that's not the way to go. Uh, we're in play where everybody else is playing. I, I want to go into my a different sandbox. And so I was like, I'm not doing any of this, this really lightweight, uh, inexpensive, easy to get into stuff. I'm going to go where nobody else is playing. And so that all my additional products after those first two are in a whole different area, places where a lot of people, especially newbies, don't don't want to get into. They take a little bit more investment to get into, and a little bit more. You know, I get pallets of them coming in instead of a couple UPS boxes showing up by DHL and turning around sending them to Amazon. I've got 16 pallets uh, that weigh 800 pounds a piece coming in, 
And so that's that's where I'm at now on most of my products. Okay. Those are not oversized products. They still fit in the standard standard uh, dimensions, you know, on Amazon, but but they're in an area where most people don't want to mess around with. So there's a lot less competition. Are you saying they don't want to mess in that because the price point per unit is just that much higher? Well, the price point to get into it per unit, so instead of paying, you know, a buck or, buck or two to, to get your product and selling it for 15 to 20, like some people are looking for is, you know, I'm paying 10 bucks wholesale, but not to, but in order to sell it for 40. And then to bring it over, instead of paying, you know, a small amount for DHL or, uh, you know, one of the other services to bring it over, like a lot of people like, I'm having to pay air freight to put it on the bottom of an airplane or sending it by sea. So it takes longer to get the product, or and it costs more. You know, I've got shipments sometimes. I come in, it costs me twelve thousand dollars, and just in freight to bring it in. Yeah. Um, and these are not big, you know, oversized. These are not exercise bikes or, or something. These are still small, you know, four, three, four pound items that are less than the eighteen inches that Amazon requires. I forget the exact measurement. I think it's like nine by eighteen or something like that. That still is a standard size unit, so you don't get charged those extra fees. Right, yeah. I think it's 18 by 8 by 6, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that, that, that sounds right, yeah. I, I always say like a big, like a, a basketball player's shoe box, right? Like a shack box. <laughs> yeah, there you, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's pretty big, but that's cool. Yeah, and I've been saying the same thing for a while now. And, and you know, people people will come back and say, well, you said in podcast number one that, you know, I should do this. And now you're saying something else. You know, the times change, right? Things change, you learn, and then you've got to adjust your strategies. And... um Lately, I've been telling people the same thing you're just mentioning, which is, you know, stay away from the the super cheap stuff. You know, if you're going to go out there and you're going to source stuff for a dollar fifty cents, you know, and you're going to be selling it for fifteen dollars or nineteen dollars, it's hard to get those margins, especially when you start dealing with pay per click and any of the uh, any of the other things that actually drive up your your costs. So if you've got something that you can go out there and sell for, I'd say at least thirty dollars and up, forty dollars would be great. Um, then you you've got a lot better chance for success. Even at those price points that I'm coming in at, I mean, my, one of my most expensive item that I carry wholesale is about twenty dollars. Um, my my cost on is about twenty dollars. Wow! But I sell that item. I sell that item for seventy nine. Mm-hmm. I won't do anything where I can't at least triple whatever I'm paying for to bring it in, including the shipping to bring it in. If I can't triple or come close to tripling my cost, then then I'm not interested in the item. Typically, um, and the problem with a lot of people is they they don't have a lot of money to get into it a thousand bucks or and you see on these podcasts and the forums all the time people it's like how much money do I need to start this and that's really not the right approach those are people that are mostly people that are just looking for you know for a get rich they're looking for a lottery ticket and it does happen from time to time there's some stories out there where someone started with a few hundred bucks and now they're doing a hundred grand a month but those are far and few between most of them people that start with that low money either really not making much or they've given up uh, and they've moved on to something else. Yeah, it's hard to scale, right? I mean, if you're starting off with just $500 or $200, you know, how do you actually scale that? And you can't get into the, the products that we're talking about. You can't go out and buy a $10, $15, $20, dollars your cost product when you only have $200, right? Because what are you going to get? 10, exactly. 10 units, right? And what are you going to do? You're going to run out and, of stock and you're, you're kind of messed up. And I understand some people get in this, they're looking to supplement their income, they got a regular job, and they want to make some extra money on the side to pay down some credit cards or take a vacation or something, and that's all cool. And you can you can get in with a lot less money and do that. But if you really want to make this a business and you want to make a living off it and you want to pull thousands of dollars out a month to pay for your mortgage and, and kids' college education or whatever it may be, um, you got to put money in. I've invested quite a bit because not only do I, I don't just take uh, one of my 
strategies is not to just go find something on Alibaba or Global Sources uh, and bring it in and, and sell it on Amazon just like everybody else does. I, half of my private label products I develop from scratch. So I, I've gone out and I've hired guys, you know, got a guy, in, I find him on uh, Upwork, a guy in Argentina that has designed a, a product for me. You know, we, I've sketched out on paper, here's kind of what I want. He did all the CAD designs, went back and forth. You know, the guy in Eastern Europe I also found on Upwork, you know, for a few hundred bucks, for like 300 bucks, he'll do all kinds of renderings for me. So the products, you know, at 10 different angles, I'll take those CAD files and it looks like it looks real. I mean, you unless you knew different, you'd think that it's a real product, so I can actually see what it looks like. I mean, I do 3D printing, so I can test it and hold it in my hand and, you know, make sure all the pieces or parts fit correctly if I need to, or if somebody needs to try it out, you know, and test to make sure it, it works, and then and then put that product out there. And I don't just randomly pick those products, but, you know, I go and I do the research uh, to see where, those oppor- where there's opportunities in the market, mm. and rather than just going in, going to China and finding a, a product and doing it, and I'll do that sometimes, but I'll go and I'll see where all the problems are, look at all the negative reviews, look at what, uh, where the opportunity in that market is. If everybody is selling $10 items, I'm going to want to sell $40 item, um, and, and go after the high end of the market. Yeah, I may not have as many sales and my BSR may be lower, but I don't care. I'm making more money. I mean, most of my products right now, are between about a three thousand and a seven eight thousand BSR. I don't have any anything in the top one thousand, and you don't need to if you do this right. And you know I've got products that you know are making me five hundred dollars profit a day uh, with a seven thousand BSR. Um, you know that's profit after all expenses, all advertising costs, you know, eight, all the sponsored ads, after everything. Hmm. So that's one of my strategies is to create these custom products. And and then you, the the advantage, to, the major advantage to that is you can have higher margins. Uh, you have zero competition. Um, and one of my products, that one I was telling you that I sell for seventy nine dollars that uh, I made for for twenty. Um, there's about a thousand other similar, not similar, but other items in the exact same category. If you search for the the keyword that that product is in, the main keyword, there's about a thousand different things that show up. Uh, but mine, there's none of them like mine. And the problem with those other thousand is there's 800 of them all look the same because mm-hmm. it's people that have just gone to Alibaba and they've found a source for that product and they, they're just buying it and putting their name on it. And there's no differentiation. They're all exactly the same. So that, to me, that's a mistake. And even on one of my products that I private label that I did not develop from scratch, it's in the sporting, sports field, sporting sports category, that particular product's the most expensive in its, cat, in its category, and I did I did not create that one from scratch, but I went and I found it and I customized it. I said, okay, we got to add these other three parts. Not really a bu- it's kind of like a bundle, I guess, but um, we got to add these parts. We got to differentiate it this way. And then the other thing I do is on all my products, I do custom packaging. I don't bring anything over in a, in a plain brown box or in a poly bag, and you stick a label on it. It's all retail ready custom packaging and there's two reasons for that and it's one is I show the packaging in my listing which I've never ever had a problem with in a year with hijackers um, because of that because even if they came onto it I could get them kicked off pretty quick because they aren't going to have my packaging and the second is um, I, I look at this as a long term investment and I want to get into retail Amazon's just a, a, it's a great channel to launch in and it's a great channel to get started in and to prove you have a good product, get feedback from customers, and improve the product the next time you make it. 
and then take it to retail uh, and, and get into the into the mass stores to not only make more money, but to leverage yourself so that if something ever changes in Amazon or you lose your account for some reason or whatever, you're not just out there flapping in the wind. Yeah, man, this is a lot of good information. Guys, I hope you're uh, taking notes if you're listening to this because Kevin is just dropping it all. This is awesome. And I'm gonna, I want to go back and touch on some of the things you talked about because there's some really cool things you're saying that I've never heard anybody else talk about on, on any podcast. So, um, for example, well, well, before I get to that question, um, you're talking about, I mean, you're on pace to do um, seven figures this year. You're o- over a million bucks um, and you've got a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, with the holiday season, based on what I know from last, what we did last holiday and what I, could have done if I was properly prepared for the holiday mm-hmm. uh, for December, basically December and January. Really, uh, I expect this year to do two and a half, three million dollars probably by the end of the year. But I'm in the process of launching a few more products now, and if those, if I just get a, a single or double. You know, I'm not trying to hit a home run on every product. I mean, I want to, I want a single or a double. You know, my <laughs> goal is I want to sell at least ten a day, mm-hmm. uh, with a with about a eight to fifteen dollar margin on each product uh, after. Now, you can't do that out of the gate. When I first launch a new product, I'm willing to spend money to get it going. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to go out there and you know, I'll get a handful of reviews. I don't believe in the strategy. Of, I've tested every kind of blast service there is out there. And I don't, unless you're in a super, super highly competitive area, I don't think that's really necessary. I think it's actually a waste of money. Um, I think you're better off to actually go and get some initial reviews, go out and reach out to the top 1,000 or or 10,000 reviewers and find the ones that are, that, that they'll put it on Amazon. They'll list it in their little bio there. You know, I love dogs or I love, uh, you know, poetry or I love uh, cooking or whatever it may be. Reach out to those people. Get about 10 up. Send, you got to send about 10 or 15 of them your product. That, you know, you send them an email, offer it to them for free. You got to give it to them for free. And then have them order it through Amazon. Don't send it to them direct. Have them order it through Amazon so it goes through the Amazon system. And then out of those 10 or 15 you sent to, you know, probably about half of them will actually give you a review. But those are top-rated reviewers, and that's a good way to get started. And after that, you could use, you know, one of these services like ReviewKick or if you don't want to pay money or the best ones I love to review, um, but it's also the most expensive. Uh, but you get the highest return on reviews or a Facebook group or whatever and get your reviews up to around 15 or 20 uh, if you can. And then you're ready to go. Um, and you don't need to start, you know, some people say you need to wait to do pay-per-click um, until you got X number of reviews, and I, I, I don't think that's true. I think you can, it's probably better to have at least five reviews in there, uh, but I've launched two products with only five reviews, and those reviews were from, like I said, those top 1,000 reviewer types. You immediately turned on pay-per-click and started making money instantly. Yeah. And I, I, I'm of the opinion now one of the best investments you can make is in pay-per-click because you can buy your way to the top yeah yeah you want to spend money on pay-per-click and you have the margins in your product and that goes back to what we're talking about money with the you know the, the, the price of the item but you know on a on a, on a twenty dollar item that i'm paying like a, i gave that example and i'm selling it for 79 i can afford even after amazon's commissions and fees and everything i can afford to pay ten dollars per click or per sale average. So the way I look at my numbers when I'm, I'm estimating my numbers is I say, okay, when, on this particular product, I'm going to spend $10 per sale on advertising. Now that means that it's hard to break down Amazon to know exactly how many you did organic and how many you did pay-per-click. You can get pretty close, but as an estimate, so if I sell 10 per day and it costs me $100 in advertising on 
on Amazon to sell sell those ten per day, and I look at my numbers, and only four of them were sold through sponsored ads. Well, I'm not saying well that cost me twenty five dollars. You know, four times twenty five equals a hundred to sell those four. I'm I'm applying that number across all of my sales, so that if I sold ten a day, six of them are organic. I'm still on those organic sales in my projections and my numbers. I'm putting a ten dollar cost because a hundred divided by ten hundred dollars you spend divided by ten dollars. Uh, per unit, 10 units sold is $10. So I'm saying every one I sell, I'm losing $10 on, and I'm willing to do that. I'm even willing to break even and lose money. You know, I'll spend a couple grand. I'm launching a product right now that's in a pretty highly competitive space, um, and it's doing, I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be too successful, but I, I launched it last Friday, you know, or less, about a week ago, uh, and I'm already up to, 30 sales a day on this particular item. And it's because of pay-per-click, I'm buying my way to the top, and it's it's doing very well. So you can buy your way to the top, and I'm willing to spend that. The way I look at it is I'll do 1,000 units of anything I bring in initially. One, to just make sure the factory does everything right and make sure if, see if I need to tweak it, and I don't want to get stuck with a lot of stuff if it doesn't sell and have to liquidate it out. Mm-hmm. So out of those 1,000 units, I'm uh, in my mind, I'm like, okay, as long as I break even on these first 1,000, um, then I'm totally happy. So if I'm losing money, technically, or not making money because I haven't spent so much in advertising to get it launched, then it's great. So I launched a product in December that I was spending about $600 a day on sponsored ads to get that product launched. And I'm still making money, a small small margin on it. But now, today, it still sells the exact same, well, not exact, it's almost the same number of items per day and I'm spending about 40 bucks a day in advertising because nice. I bought my way into the organics. And I think that's a better way to do it mm-hmm. because when you spend the money on the pay-per-click, Amazon associates whatever the, the keywords were that people search for with that product. They're, they're putting that into their memory that, okay, Manny came here and he typed in uh, green spatula and Kevin uh, or Manny clicked on an ad for Kevin's green spatula. Um, so let's tie those two together. So you build up that organic mm. uh, keyword association as well that way that you don't do when you're just giving away blast or reviews. Now, the old school people used to do the, the uh, drawing a blank right now, the, uh, where you could... Super URLs? So, yeah, that's it. I'm sorry, the super URLs. And some people say they, they still work, but I'm not so sure that they do. And if they do, I think it's marginalized. Amazon, it's real easy for Amazon to go in there and just not really count that stuff yeah. in the programming. So it, this is a much better and more organic way to do it. Um, so it, it, it seems to be working. So let me ask you, Kevin, um, there's a lot of people, especially a lot of, uh, as you would call them, you know, experts and, and people that do a lot of pay-per-click. And I guess it's kind of split. Some people say, you know, pay-per-click will actually help increase your organics. I say it all the time on pretty much everywhere. I say, do it. You know, this is how I do it. I run pay-per-click to drive up my organics. But some people are saying that, Pay-per-click does not affect your organics. You're saying absolutely it does then. I, I believe 100% emphatically it does. Okay. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? Why would Amazon? They, they, Amazon's all about selling more product. They don't care whose product it is. And they want, they want to figure out the algorithm that's going to make them the most money. And if they know if, you, if you're typing green spatula and I'm getting a lot of sales off of pay-per-click, why wouldn't they show green spatula on organic too? I mean, you could say, well, they don't want to show it there because they'd rather have you do the pay-per-click. But I don't think that's, I mean, pay-per-click is just like, to me, I don't think Amazon looks, pay-per-click is a great money source for Amazon. It's a great way for them to increase their margins. 
I think it's a really smart thing to do, but it's similar to buying your buying space in a grocery store. You know, when you go into a grocery store and you see uh, some new peanut butter, you know, the, nine times out of ten, that new peanut butter on the shelf, they didn't just the, the grocery store didn't just stick it there and say, like, "Hey, let's check it out." They had to buy that. It's called slotting. Uh-huh. They had to buy that space. And they had to pay them you know, a thousand bucks or or two hundred dollars a store, or whatever the number may be, to actually get that space. And then you're doing basically the same thing on Amazon. You're buying, you're buying your position through paying Amazon through sponsored ads and proving yourself. It's like you're, you're proving that this is a good product and that Amazon can make money on it. There's thousands, millions or billions or however many ridiculous number of products that are on Amazon right now. And how, how else are they going to know what, what they should show and what they shouldn't show organically? And pay-per-click is one way to, to, to make that happen a lot quicker by proving, proving that you get a good product, that you have a, a good listing, good photos it's well written and convert and you have good conversion yeah and that makes sense do you do you feel like uh there's a difference between having that top spot at the top of all the search results versus being over on the side panel or different positions for pay-per-click i think the most important thing is to be on page one um because only about 30 percent or so uh if you listen uh, look at some of the studies i think amazon actually says that only about 30 percent of people go past page one so as long as you're on page one somewhere, that's the most. That's number one. Get on there somewhere, whether it's on the side in the pay-per-click, the top, or organically somewhere on the bottom. Just get on page one. Yeah. And then the best position is that top left position. If you can get in that <laughs> top left position, whether it's a sponsored ad in some categories, they put them up there, and some they don't. Or if you're ranked uh, in that, but most people will scroll down. The, at least they'll glance through the first page. You know they. And see what's there. So as right. far as being on the right hand side or the left, in sponsored ads, the le- the left is better. The top left is better. Right. And for those of you that are newer and are listening right now, if it hasn't clicked yet, the idea is this: if you're starting out, you're going to not be on page one initially. You're going to be on page, let's say, seventeen. So if you can get a few reviews going and then start running pay per click, you can immediately, within hours, boom, you're on page one. You're at the top of the listings. And there's very well, few. I don't know about within. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I don't Go know ahead. about within hours. <laughs> it depends on the category. <laughs> well, I'm I'm talking about the actual pay per click. Um, if you bid a higher amount, I've seen it at least. Oh, I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, well, paper, yes, that's correct. Yeah, not okay. Yeah, that's correct. So, um, but there, there's very few industries where you can actually do that. Where you can actually go in you know, and just immediately get that front page access. It's just an amazing thing. And you might not be, like you were saying, Kevin, you might not be making money initially, right? You're going to be, you're, you're basically trying to buy up your your organic ranking. So it's okay. I mean, if you're in a good product uh, category and you've got a great product, you, it's great if you are making money. But what I always teach is, you know, the first month, at least for me, is kind of like a throwaway. It's like that that loss leader. You know, I'm just trying to build up my position so that moving forward from month two on, my paper clicks are lower or my costs are lower and my organics are up and I'm actually making uh, good money at that point. I do exactly what you just said. And I monitor that. You know, I let, I'll let my paper click run for about five to seven days before I really make any ma- uh, new product, before I make any major adjustments. Now, if I, if on day four, if I see one keyword is just going through the roof and costing me a tremendous amount of money, and by tremendous, I mean two or $300 a day for that one keyword, and after four days, there's zero sales on that one keyword, I'll, I'll tone it back. I'll tone the bid back uh, on that. And I start all my bids high, you know, $5, $4, whatever it takes to be at the top. That doesn't mean I pay that much. Just because you bid that much doesn't mean you pay that much. Right. But, and a lot of my my bids will come in. You know, a dollar, even if you bid five dollars, you know, a dollar nine might get you. You know, dollar ten might get you the top spot. 
as long as I'm in those top two spots, I don't have to be the first one. As long as I'm in those top two spots initially, then, then I'm fine. Um, but then, if, like I said, if the keyword just looks like it's just way out of line, you know, I'll, I'll tone that back and, and lower the bid. I won't eliminate the keyword, but I'll, I'll, I'll lower the bid on it and give it about a week and then see what happens and adjust. And then after that, I adjust daily. I go and I monitor it two or three times a day uh, for several weeks um, just just to fine-tune it. So, and it's, a, it's a process. So, Kevin, then if you're adjusting the bids on that keyword, are you saying that you, you initially run an automatic campaign and then you're moving to a manual and then you're adjusting them specifically in manual? Can you talk about that process? Sure. I actually do a manual uh, just to see, make sure I'm relevant, see what Amazon thinks this product's about. An automatic, uh, I mean. That typical, right? I'm sorry, an automatic, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I initially run a, an automatic campaign to make sure that Amazon thinks the product is what I think it is and to see if there's any kind of keywords that come up undiscovered that I just didn't think of. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I run a manual phrase, or a manual broad, I'm sorry, uh, to, to also pick up any other things. And I, the manual broad comes in from research from other tools that I use um, to come up with that. And then after about a, a week or so, I'll eliminate the, uh, the automatic. I'll go in and see what's working, what's not working, and I'll move all that stuff over into the manual. Mm -hmm. And then I'll test broad, I'll test. Once I figure out what's working in broad, and I'll test exact and phrase. And once I've settled on, on, a key, on keywords after you know, a month or so, and I've said, okay, these are the, I've tried 500 different keywords or whatever the number may be, and I've said, okay, these are the 10 or 15 that really work and really convert and I want to focus on. I'll, I'll move those over into a, a phrase or exact and, and see which one of those converts best for those that small subset. So if you have a small subset, you, let's say you've got 15 keyword phrases that are just awesome. You've eliminated all your automatic campaigns. You're now on manual and you've got, um, I, I'm assuming each manual campaign is, uh, are you setting up 12 different manual campaigns for each keyword so you can control them individually? Is that what you're doing? No, I'll put them into, I'll put them into one and I'll just put a high daily, you know, $500 daily. Okay. Uh, budget on it or something like that. And then you just manually and, and control then, the bids by just going in there and checking the keyword phrase and yeah. putting the amount next to it. Okay. And I've done on the automatic, I've tested it where I just lower the bids some ridiculous amount. You know, if I was initially, if it was costing me a dollar per click, you know, I've tried this, let's just lowball it. Let's just see if I can get that low line fruit, you know, get that guy that scrolls to page 16 or no, page six or whatever and finds my ad at the top of page six. And mm -hmm. So I'm, I'll bid 20 cents or something. But I found that you could continue that, but it's, not very effective. Yeah, the conversions um, are terrible. You'll, you'll grab a sale here, here, there. Um, for some people, that may be great, but for me, I, I'd rather not. I'd rather put my energies elsewhere. Right, and my money elsewhere on that. So, if you've got these uh, fifteen awesome keyword phrases set up in your manual campaign, and, and that's what you're targeting, so you've got those keywords in your title and in bullets and other places. Are you still then? I mean, do you find it's really important to have five thousand characters worth of other keywords? If you're not pushing those through pay-per-click, or is that still super important for the organic side of stuff? Well, now that Amazon's changed the rules and allowed you to have 5,000 characters, and the important thing to note there, it's 5,000 characters, not 5,000 keywords. Right. See, a lot of people on some of the forums like, how in the world could you ever fill out 5,000 keywords and be relevant? <laughs> it's not keywords, it's characters, including spaces. Um, but no, I, I fill those. Um, and I take a little bit different approach on that than, than what a lot of the people teach and even what Amazon says because a lot of times what Amazon says that they index and the way they do it is a lie and it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Amazon says they don't, they don't, the, the product descriptions are not indexed for, for search, for organic search. And that's wrong. It actually is. 
Right. It's just straight up says on Amazon's you know help center that they don't do that, but they do. Mm-hmm. So I I repeat keywords. My my first bullet point in the back. Now that we have five thousand, uh, you know, five lines of a of a thousand characters. My first line of a thousand. I repeat all my main top keywords in there, even though they're in my bullets, even though they're in my descriptions, even though they're in the title, wherever they may be, I repeat them anyway. And a lot of people say that's a waste of space, but I, I disagree because um, I want to cover my cover my ass and just make sure they're there just in case they change the algorithm at some point and they quit looking at description or they quit looking at something, at least they're there. Yeah. Um, and then the next three, I fill in with, you know, what are, a lot of random words. I don't repeat words and they're unique words that are not in my description or not in my bullets, not in my uh, title. And so those are just casting a wide net. And so the Amazon will, you know, for example, if you have a, a dog product, I'll, I'll give you an example. You have a dog product in there. I'll put, you know, I'll go to the uh, American Kennel Association's website. What's the top one, 100 dog breeds, you know, that people have, you know, have golden retriever, dachshund, so on. And so I'll, I'll put those in there because if someone's looking for a, um, a dog product, you know, say dog food, um, if you're selling dog food, they may, they might type in dog food for dachshund. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be a long tail keyword. Not a lot of people are typing that. Most of them are typing dog food, mm-hmm. but that way you appear for all these random long tail keywords. So I'll do that in those first, those three middle ones, plus other words that I get from other places that will give you all these other random keywords that other products are showing up for. Yeah. And then my last, my last back end keyword, the last line of, uh, of a thousand, I will go in there and I'll put in uh, Spanish translations um, for my main keywords because there's a lot of people in the United States that that don't speak English. You know, the United States is a, has the second highest population of Spanish speakers in the world after Mexico. Only Mexico has more Spanish speakers than the United States. A lot of people don't realize that. And there's a lot of people, especially in certain categories, like beauty, for example, that will go to Amazon and they type their query in either Spanish or Spanglish. Um, <laughs> And you can pick up a lot of extra organic traffic by doing that. I mean, for example, I have a product, and this when we talked about earlier, one of my first beauty products that was just languishing because I, I kind of gave up on it and selling one or two a day. And that particular product, I was like, well, let me just go in here and see what happens. I'm a, uh, my fiance is Colombian, so I, I said, hey, how do you, how would you search for these five main keywords here? And you know, in, in Spanish, if you were going to Amazon, what would you type? You can go to Google and translate it, but sometimes that's not the natural way people would actually do it. I mean, it gets you close, but it's not its not the best way. Um, and so she told me, and this is what I would search for, so I threw those in there. And now instead of selling one or two a day on one of these products, I'm selling anywhere from 7 to 15. And I'm not doing any pay-per-click on it. I didn't change anything else in the listing. All I did was add in these Spanish keywords. I'll do that that and that, that last bullet uh, and use that for that, that kind of thing. Okay, man, that's good information. That's awesome. So yeah, just uh, you took a you resurrected basically a a failing product. Right. Now, now once I did it for that product, I went of course and did it for all my other products. I haven't seen as big of a jump in some of the other products, but some of those other products are not really as they're in different categories, so there might not quite be as many people typing stuff in Spanish for those mm-hmm. categories. But in the beauty category, especially, there's a lot of women uh, out there that are searching for beauty products, um, and they're typing in Spanish. Uh, and some of the cooking products, you could probably, you know, in the cooking category, I would think you could have some good success there if you have a Spanish-oriented, 
you know, type of product as well. Awesome. How do you, uh, do you deal with misspellings as well? I do. Yeah. And that last bullet, I do that too. The, besides the, uh, cause you got a thousand characters. So if you take, I take my top five or 10 keywords, like I said, and convert them, you still have some extra space. So I use that extra space with uh, common misspellings, which you can get There's software out there, you know, sites like that will give you some of those suggestions or yeah. Apple. I mean, uh, Amazon will auto correct some of that. You know, if you, if you type in, say you have an Apple computer, you type in Apple computer and you type, uh, put two L's in it or something. You know, Amazon will usually say, did you mean this? Yeah, but if you have that misspelling, you might show up in two or three products there before you have to click on, did you mean this to get the real listing? Yeah. And so that can definitely help. I noticed that uh, as well. People, a lot of people will say, oh, you don't need to do misspellings because Amazon will automatically, you know, auto-suggest the correct spelling. But they, if you actually have that keyword in there, it'll show your product and then it shows, um, you know, did you mean to search for this? So you're, you might be the only one on there. And I actually am for a number of uh, highly misspelled keyword phrases for the products that I sell. So. On that same note, on the Spanish stuff, you know, that that, that serum, serum product that I had, you know, when I type, when you type it in in English, I don't know, there's some ridiculous number of thousands of listings that show up. And because it's, I've kind of given up on it, I'm not doing any pay-per-click, you know, I'm down on page three or four or five, something like that for that listing. But if you type in Spanish, it's me and one other guy. Mm. Um, and so that's one, one of the reasons that's, it's, it's doing very well. And on that same note on the misspellings, a lot of people say you don't need to put plurals. You know, if it's, if it's toys, you don't need to put toy and then toy toys with an S. I mean, I disagree with that. I put, I put them both and also, um, conjugations. So if it's, a um, you know, if it's charger, uh, I put charger, charging, charged, um, whatever the variations of it may be. And some people say Amazon accounts for that. Mm-hmm. And I think they do to a degree, but I think if you, if you spoon feed it to them, you, you have better success. Nice. Okay. And you do, uh, what so I think if you spoon feed it to them, that they find the, the software finds the exact match immediately. And I think I can't prove this, but I think it may give it a little bit more relevance than if Amazon has to say, well, he's got the word charge here, mm-hmm. but the guy typed in charging. Um, Let's let's uh, conjugate this. He means the same thing. I think it may give it a little bit less weight, uh, in my opinion, than mm-hmm. if he finds an exact dead-on match. Okay, that's awesome. I can't stuff. prove that, but <laughs> I, I believe that could be true. Right, right. What about the guys uh, at A Nine? This search engine, you know, there's uh, they're not there's some pretty smart guys over you know that developed this A Nine search engine that Amazon uses for all the search. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have the Amazon app, the uh, the A9 search engine app? I forgot what it's called, where you just point it at something and it just visually, it can you know you're pointing at a pair of shoes or whatever, and it detects it and pulls up the listing. Have you seen that yet? No, I've never. No, I've never messed with that. It's pretty trippy. A lot of people don't know about that. It's neat. I was using it around uh, my place and just pointing at it like my remote control, and boom, it pulls up the Amazon listing for that remote control. I'm like, what? I'm like, that's the future. It's going to be textless search. That's what I think. Huh. Just, wow. You're that's not cool. going to have to search for anything. You just point your device at something. Say, I want this pause your, your DVR and say, I want that. And then it'll just pull it up. So it'll be pretty cool. But, um, I'm getting off subject here. I want to talk about, um, brands in terms of, um, actually bidding on those. Do you, if you have competitors, brands and stuff, do you do anything with those? Because there's a lot of people asking that question. No, I've tested it where I actually put brands in there. And if it's a major, if it's some brand, that's a common word, you know, you can, it can work a little bit, you know, if it's or some unknown brand, Mm -hmm. but if it's a major brand, you know, if you're, you're selling uh, refrigerators and you type, you know, you want to go after Samsung or GE, it's probably not going to work. Amazon, the A9 guys have got that filtered out for the most part. 
So if you have, if you're in a category where the you know you're you're coming into it and the top, let's say there's two or three sellers that are just dominant and they're doing you know a thousand units a month each um, in sales, would it be and and they've got a you know they've got a pretty solid brand. It looks like it's not a household name, but it's solid for that particular brand in your niche. Would you consider using their brand name for people that might tell their friends and say, oh yeah, I got you know the whatever version. You should check. Well, it what out. I found that actually works better is if you're doing on your keywords, if it's a I'll take this this eyelash serum uh, that we've been talking about for an example. Uh, if I do a broad, uh, I mean, yeah, a broad uh, paper click on that, and I just have the word eyelash serum, I'll get hits for people typing in a brand name, unique, which is a big, the biggest one of the bigger brand names in that, unique eyelash serum, and so I'll get that. But if I take that phrase, unique eyelash serum, and I stick it into a, a phrase match or an exact match, Amazon typically will give me zero impressions because they like they, they filter it out. Mm-hmm. But if I leave it as a broad match and just eyelash down, I can pick up some of that, that brand stuff. And I've tested putting those brand names in the back end of my keywords, especially when we used to have 50 by, fi- uh, 50 by 5. Uh, and occasionally someone would show up, but for the most part, they wouldn't. But I have done stuff where I did a test one time where I just took that unique brand name and I stuck it down at the end of my description, way down at the bottom of the description, just like on the last line, just stuck it there just to see what would happen and within 15 minutes you know because it takes about 15 minutes for the amazon uh, in, uh, database to refresh and to filter out to the server farm um I, I started actually i could find my product based on that brand name's keyword mm-hmm. um but if amazon sees you doing that they, they really don't like it i mean if they actually look at your listing um you're taking a chance there um that you know they that something can happen and Amazon may not ever look at the listing someone from that brand they may have uh, someone that monitors their their brand and they do searches and if you come up they're going to report you to Amazon to look at it as well so I I typically stay away from those there's some that are natural Mm -hmm. if you're selling a product for the Apple iPhone um, let's say you're selling iPhone cases or something like that Uh, you you know you're using the word iPhone as as a product name or it's not really the it's a brand name too. I mean, Apple's the brand name, but if you, it's kind of hard to describe the product without using that. You know, it's a, right. You know, say iPhone case, and I think that and it works, and you can get away with it. You're just putting some other random brand in there in your product. That, for the most part, I don't find that it works. Okay. All right, cool. Well, that's some good stuff. So I want to jump back a little bit back to the earlier uh, conversation we're having. Um, you said that you start a thousand units at a time when you're starting uh, with a new product. Is that pretty much your standard? Do you always do that? Is that what you would recommend yeah, to people? That's, that's my standard. Yeah. Some people will say start with a couple hundred. Some people will say you know, don't do that. There's guys that have the school of thought, find a good product, go find it on eBay, go go to Alibaba Express and get 20 of them in and make sure the damn thing sells before you order a thousand and spend all that kind of money. But I don't subscribe to that theory for several reasons. One is when I'm looking at my products, I'm pretty confident. I do enough research on it that I'm pretty confident. And I know that in the worst case scenario, if I just got to close them out, like this makeup, yeah, I may be out my money for six months while I'm closing them out, but I'm going to get a hundred percent of my money back. Yeah. Uh, I may not make money on it, but I'm going to get it back. So I pick products that I know there's enough demand for, Mm-hmm. Uh, that when I'm doing my research then there's enough margin where if I just got to close this thing out at cost mm-hmm. and just wait it out for six months, six months while they, they sell, you know, a few a day to, to I get rid of them. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to do that. 
but I, I want to go in. I want to have enough units. You can't really, if you only get 200 units or 500 units, you can't really promote it right. I mean, you, you're going to be, you're going to run out of stock really soon, and then, which is a major problem and it can really hurt you, or you, you're not going to be able to really get that thing launched. Like we talked about earlier, where we spend a lot of money to get that, get it launched, um, and, and giveaways you know, for reviews and, and spending a lot on your pay-per-click to get those first sales coming in. That's the keyword association going. You, you only have enough units to do that. You need it. I think you need a thousand. I mean, yeah. 500 would be cutting it too close, but you need a thousand. Cause it really does hurt you. a lot of people. They don't do that because it's, it takes a bigger investment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't have five grand or 10 grand or whatever the number depending on the cost of the park is to, to invest. Um, and they're scared. A lot of people, you know, they haven't bought from China before. You know, you see it on all the forums. Um, I want to pay them by PayPal. Or what if they screw me? Or what if they do this? Or what if they do that? They're really nervous about it. And you just can't be. If you, if you vet out your suppliers, uh, and you can usually tell by how quick they respond to you. You know, if you send out a, an Alibaba to 10 or 15 people saying, hey, I'd like pricing on this product. If anybody that doesn't respond to me within 24 hours, I eliminate them immediately. Uh, because that's someone that's not on top of the game and they don't want my business. Anybody that doesn't answer all my questions that I ask them, if they skip around and answer a couple, I eliminate them. Um, the ones that answer every question and are good communicators, not, I don't mean perfect English, but good communicators, those are the ones I'll start trying to develop a relationship with and continue on. Yeah. And the other thing I do that a lot of people don't do, and I think it's a huge, huge, huge mistake, is I do in inspections in China before the product is shipped to the United States. And I don't care if you're, you're buying 100 units or if you're buying 1,000 units or you're buying 10,000 units. You should do an inspection. Spend the money to do an inspection. There's tons of companies out there that do it. You can pay anywhere from 100 bucks to, you know, $400 or $500. Uh, depends on the company. I, mine is $248. But these inspections don't let the factory have their inspector. Someone say, yeah, we have a guy. He goes and he'll check and make sure. Don't worry, Mr. Kevin. The product will be good quality. We want your business. Don't trust that at all. Mm-hmm. You can't trust the Chi- you can't trust the Chinese. It's a whole different culture than in the United States. And even after you've been dealing with a vendor, say this is your fifth order with that vendor, and the first four have all come through okay, and you're like, ah, I don't need to spend the money for the inspection this time. Everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that you should do it every single time. Just build it into your cost of business. And these inspection services, what they will do is, I get about a 30-page report. You tell them, you can tell them specific things to look for. Make sure it's packaged this way. Make sure this instruction sheet's inside. Make sure, you know, here's all the pieces that are supposed to be there. Whatever you want to tell them, you tell them specifics. And then they'll, they'll go into the into the factory. And the factories don't like this because it keeps them on their toes. <laughs> and some factories, will, some factories will fight it because if you're doing 1,000 units, the typical inspection is 80. They don't go and inspect all 1,000 units and open them up. Mm-hmm. On 1,000, the, the statistical number is 80. And so they'll go in and they'll randomly pick 80 items. So I tell my factory, you got to have everything packed. It's got to be on the pallets or in the, the shipping boxes, just as if FedEx or DHL or whoever was going to come pick it up that day. Mm-hmm. has to be ready to go. So the inspection company comes in, and they pick random boxes, and they open, open them up. You know, they'll do a count. They'll take pictures of everything. They'll open up the gift boxes and make sure all the pieces are there. They'll look for little tiny scratches. They'll look for, you know, something missing. And if you get... There's certain parameters, and you can set these numbers, but if there's so many, there's minor mistakes, which might be a small little scratch on the back of something, and there's major mistakes, like, say, the box is printed wrong or something, or a piece is missing out of the box, then you allow a few of those, because it's just, you're going to have a few. Nothing is perfect. You can't have 100% perfection. 
but if it goes over a certain number, you can interpolate that out to the whole run. If the whole run is going to be statistically, it's going to have the same amount of problems. Hmm. And so then you can either have the factory rework it and tell them you got to fix this problem or remake it or whatever, but you don't pay that final money until they fix the problem and then you do another inspection. And sometimes you might have to pay for that second inspection, but a lot of times if you put it up front in your contract, tell the factory you're going to be sending your independent inspector to keep them on their toes, and the, the inspection fails, they have to pay for the reinspection. Um, put that in your initial contract when you do the initial order with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'll find that you, your products are a lot better shape. And I, I prevent some serious problems uh, on almost every one of my vendors by doing that. And you, and they, they'll, even do, stuff. they'll even do the drop test for you, the Amazon three-foot drop test, right? Yeah, I have them actually take the uh, the master carton, you know, say it's got 20 units of the product in it or whatever it may be, and I'll tell them, drop it from three meter, uh, three feet, you know, to the ground, because when it's shipped over here, you know, DHL and UPS or the freight company, they play they play hockey with these things, play basketball with these boxes. <laughs> yeah. You know, they throw them in big stacks, so a lot of times your corners will get dinked, you know, on the, on the box, and if you have a nice gift box inside that you've custom made, you don't want that going into Amazon or some customer getting a, a box that has a little crinkled corner because it wasn't packed right. So, and, you know, I also specify the outer cartons. I make them put little protectors on each of the corners or, or foam, and there's certain things you can do. You know, It costs you a little bit more money, but in the end, it, it saves you. And then I also have every time the factories I have them send me, when they make the boxes, I say, send me an extra 100 boxes just flat. Mm-hmm. And that way I have them here so that if I something does get damaged, because then I have a little something still will get damaged in, in shipping, I can just take the contents out and put it in a brand new box and, and it's good to go. And I can also use those boxes for returns. I have one product in the sports category where people will buy it and then they never use it. You know, they they just return it to Amazon for a refund. Well, I have Amazon ship those back to me because it only costs 50 cents to have them ship it back to you, which is amazingly low. And so I'll have them ship it back to me and if the box, you know, may have stickers and stuff all over from Amazon or whatever. And so it's not really can't really resell it like that. Mm-hmm. So I just put the product, the box has never been opened. The product's never been used. So I'll take it out of that box, put it in one of these other brand new boxes because I had the factory send me a thousand extras and ship, ship it back into Amazon and resell it. Nice. So Kevin, here's the crazy part. And you, you and I have talked before. So for those of you who are thinking, you know what? Kevin's on pace to do two to $3 million. He's doing all this stuff. He's got a million things going on. How many people do you actually have working at your company there? That's just me. Just you, right? I mean, outside of hiring some out, you know, just a couple freelancers to do your specifications and things like that, it's just you. So it kind of goes to show that, if, that. I have a bookkeeper that comes in once a month. Uh-huh. Um, she's actually here right now doing some stuff. And, you know, because I don't like doing some of that, that nitty gritty, uh, you know, reconciling the bank accounts and all that stuff and let her do all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather focus on, on, on making the money and let her on growth. Know, put, in the right, put in the right columns. Um, and so I, I have that. And then I have a, you know, all my art design, you know, I, I job that out. I've got some guys in India that do all my packaging. Now, I will sit down and I'll design the packaging. I, I'm not an artist, but I'll do rough sketches on a, on a piece of paper and say, this is kind of what I want to be and this is what I want, want to say. Um, but I have, I'm lucky I have experience in that. And then I'll send it to them, scan it, send it to them and say, here's what we need to create. And we'll go back and forth. But, you know, a nice color package, I pay $110 for a nice, four-color box that's customized, retail-ready. It's nice enough it could be sitting on a shelf in your local store. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
they'll create three different designs of that for me. So I'll sketch something and say, this is what I need, this is what I need to say. Um, these are the bullet points that go on the back of the box. Here's the UPC code, blah, blah, blah. And send it to them. They'll create three different designs and, you know, versions of it. And then I'll say, no, I like design number two. But, you know, on design number three, I kind of like how you did this one little picture over here. So let's take that, put that on, combine it into design number two, and let's go back and forth with some changes. Mm. And it takes about a week for that process, but all that's for $110. And then they send me the, the uh, Adobe Illustrator file, the PDF, mm. and then I... 15 other versions of it, you know, JPEG, TIFF, PSD, whatever. Um, so I have every format I could possibly need in high resolution. And so I, I use, I job that out. But everything else I do myself. And then when I have a bunch of pallets come in, uh, I have a buddy that'll come, 15 bucks an hour, you know, help me. It's boxes that are 80 pounds a piece. You know, you got to move them off a pallet and put a little Amazon label on them and ship them back out. You know, sometimes I'll have him come in and, and help, you know, it's three or four hours of work to not through a bunch of pallets and, uh, and rewrap them. That's it. And that's another point. You, you don't have, you're one of the few people that I know that does this kind of volume, really high volume, and you don't ship directly to Amazon. You always ship the stuff to you on pallets, right? To your, to your house. Is that right? Yeah. I work right now. I work for my house, but it's getting to the point where I'm probably going to have to get a little small little warehouse. And I've talked to some of these, you know, third party logistics company, but they just charge ridiculous amounts of money. And I'm here, you know, if I was traveling the world, like some people want this lifestyle to go backpacking across the world and make money on it, selling on Amazon, you need a third-party logistics company. But in my case, there's one here where I'm at in Austin, you know, they charge 80 cents a unit. And there's no way I'm going to pay that. You know, a 1,000 units coming in, it costs me $800, and myself and a buddy can do the same work for three hours. Uh, you know, I pay him 45 bucks and a six-pack of beer. Um, there's, there's no way. Um and it's good exercise, and I'll do that. But yeah. it's you know when I have sixteen pallets show up on my driveway. Um, it's you know, I have to work them in. You know, I walk yeah. into my garage, and then the next day, central. Fr- I used to bring them all in and repackage. So the pallets would come in. We would open everything up, put the uh, the label on the back for Amazon. Because what I do on all initial products when I first make the first thousand boxes is I put an actual UPC code on the back, not the uh, FK. Uh, not the Amazon barcode, but an actual UPC. Yeah. And so those first thousand, you know, you got to put a label over them technically to make sure just in case somebody does come in as a hijacker where there's nothing commingled. Um, so I, I used to put those on myself, but now I just let Amazon do it for 20 cents. Uh, so we would open up all the boxes and put that label on and repack them in other boxes. But it just that took a long time and got to be really expensive. So now I've gotten to where I tell my factories, you know, you gotta have, you gotta use this kind of carton box. You can't use a three ply, three wall. You gotta use a five wall. You gotta put corner protectors on all four corners. You gotta put a pad on the top and bottom. My inspection company verifies that and sends me pictures. Like I said earlier, this inspection company sends you about a 30 page report and shows everything. You know, they'll smell it. If you put your logo on the product, they'll take a piece of scotch tape, put it on the logo and peel off to see if the logo peels off. I've had that happen with the vendor and they had to fix, fix, redo all thousand units because they didn't heat seal the logo on there very good. Um, so it, I'll, it's much easier now to bring the, the pallets in, just they come in, uh, they're packaged correctly. All we got to do is, is stick a label on top and rewrap them. And for a hundred bucks, you know, they're in for 150 bucks. Amazon's rates are so ridiculously low on that central freight mm-hmm. uh, or even UPS. But that same used to cost me to send me in, send it via UPS might cost me a thousand bucks. So then I send all to one 
Amazon, luckily right now, they have me send everything to Dallas, uh -huh. which is a few hours away from me, so it's real close. All my stuff goes into Dallas. Um, and so if I ship that stuff by UPS, it'd be like a thousand bucks, even at Amazon's discount rates. But Central Freight's 150 bucks. Right. That's so crazy. I'm willing to pay that extra 20, 20 cents, let them label it. Yeah. Um, and send it in. But I want to check it. I don't want any problems because that way I know, you know, some of my stuff is expensive. And so if, if it's coming from China and going straight into Amazon, I don't want any problems. It's worth it for me to pay that extra couple hundred dollars, you know, to have it come in here and me just make sure everything is okay and then send it on. I like that eyeball check. Yeah. And some people don't care or they're not in a situation where they can do that, but I, I like that eyeball check just to make sure there's, there's no issues. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if you've, your order comes in and it's, you know, $80,000 worth of retail goods that, you know, a few hundred dollars more really doesn't even, it doesn't make a dent in it. So, um, yeah, yeah. so I just wanted to go back again, telling the, uh, I, I want to make sure that the listeners understand that this is one guy that's actually doing all this stuff. So for those of you that are like, you know, I just can't do it or I can't find the time or, or whatever the case might be. And he's got it at scale. You guys can do it. You just have to take that, you know, that first step. You got to get going on it. You can't just keep learning forever and ever, right? At one point, you got to say, all right, you know what? I'm diving in. I'm all about, I mean, I've, I've been there. I've owned companies where I've had 15 people working for me. I had a 4,000 square foot warehouse. And I don't want to get to that position. I mean, I'm not one of these where I need to, I don't need to scale this up to a $100 million company. And I'll actually cap it. So I'm not trying to grow this and to have 15 people work for me and be making all this money. Uh, I'm at the point, I, I just, my goal is to get this to $10 million by 2019. Um, and I might have to bring on one or two people, you know, to help facilitate that as it grows, but that would be the max. If I have to go out and start growing so much that I need five or 10 people working for me and I'll cap it. I won't let it happen. Right. Uh, cause I, I don't, I just don't, that's not my goal. Um, because sometimes you can make more money making less than you can making more. It's not all about the, about but the total gross sales figure is about how much you put in your pocket and it's about your lifestyle and your quality of life. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's what I want to control all of that. And it's not about being the richest guy on the, on the block. It's about making enough money and having enough fun uh, to do what I want and enjoy my life. Yeah. That's cool, man. It's funny. Cause I ask you a question and then you'll, you'll answer, you'll come up with like five things and I'm like, Oh, I, I want to, Go back to each one of these things. There's so many questions I have here. Sorry. So, no, that's good. It's awesome. I mean, this is like so full of information. Um, it's just incredible. But I, I'm going to jump around a little bit. So be, because I do want to go back to some of the topics you you cover because they're amazing. But when you're doing your color box, your four color box, and for those of you that don't know, four color doesn't mean it just has four colors. That's the technical term for uh, having essentially unlimited colors. You know, full color reproduction packaging. Um, but are you having your supplier? actually do the boxes as well or are you doing that somewhere else and then having that shipped over to your manufacturer no i actually let the supplier do it um okay. they have relationships with whoever makes their box i will send them the actual file i don't let them design it some of them they'll offer to design it and i'm like no don't touch my stuff because mm -hmm. you guys don't know how to do anything pretty um chinese can't make anything look pretty and so I, no you don't touch it and here's the final file and i had one one time try to touch it and rotate a column and they printed the box, you know, they rotated something on the box, um, and they, they they printed it, and they actually made it a little bit larger, um, just for whatever reason, and printed 1,000 boxes, and my inspector went, and they caught the problem, you know, because I sent my inspector, here's the PDF of what it should look like, and they actually get out a ruler and measure it, and 
and they, they read line by line, you know, every single word on there, you know, if they change a word or something, mm-hmm. and they caught them. And so they had to repackage a 1,000 items. They had to reprint it at their own expense and repackage them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, let, I mean, if I was doing, you know, if I start selling into Best Buy or Walmart or something, they're doing 50000 100000 at that point, then I may say, okay, hey, I'm gonna, uh, someone else make the boxes and ship them to you because I can probably save some money. But when you're doing a thousand, two thousand, five thousand, it's not worth the hassle to save fifty bucks. Yeah. What does it cost you typically? I mean, when you're doing boxes, let's say your product cost is ten dollars just for the unit, and then you say, and that's with a brown box, and you're like, no, guys, I want to. I'm gonna send you a PDF file or I'm sorry, a, an Illustrator file, and I want this super custom box. How much extra cost does that add? Oh, it depends on the. Well, I'm not doing super like fancy boxing. I don't think you need to do all kinds of fancy boxing. I, I basically take whatever their standard box is and I just redo. So they'll send me a template and I'll redo all the artwork for it. It depends on the thickness of the box. And sometimes it's 10 cents. Sometimes it, I think my most expensive one is $2 and six cents, but it's a really nice, really thick box. And the people eat with their eyes first. And even when they get a product, you know, they order your product on Amazon and it looks all nice and pretty and you've got a great listing and you got good photos. You know, when it arrives in that Amazon box with a little smile on the door and they open it up and they're all excited and I see an ugly brown box. It's got Chinese words on it. You know, that's, that's your brand. That's, that says something about you. And so when they open my box and they're like, it looks like something that could be under the Christmas tree, you know, because it's a nice box or something like they just got at the local store, you know, off the top shelf in a, in a nice store. It, they eat with their eyes first. It, it, it adds a subconsciousness to your product. And they're like, oh, this is a good product. And I'm excited to open the box and see what's inside. Or this is great. I'm going to buy another one of these to give as a gift. Mm-hmm. So one of my products is an expensive, it's a forty nine ninety five product. It's the one I just launched. And the box that it's in that they suggested that I put it in is, is kind of thin. I'm like, no, but people are paying a premium for this product. So I'm going to, I want to put it in a nice packaging. Packaging is, is think of Apple computers or if you buy a new iPhone or you buy a new, the box, the packaging, you know, how many videos are there online on YouTube of unboxing? Right. You know, people taking, it's packaging is a huge part of the product. And a lot of people just, they skip that fact. It's a huge part of the product. And some people, they keep the box, you know, they, mm-hmm. they keep the box and throw it up in their closet or their attic. Yeah. And so it's just, it's free advertising for the next time around or even stick it in their trash. Yeah. I've seen people, they see it. I've seen people selling boxes, you know, on eBay and stuff. Yeah. They'll, some they'll... people sell the boxes yeah. and I've got a product I'm developing right now. It's in the, on the, in the pet space and, and that, that everybody, all the competition in that space is putting them in poly bags with a little insert card. Mm-hmm. I'm actually creating a little cigar type of box to put my product in with a hinge and everything. Mm-hmm. So when you can imagine when I show that package in my product listing, it helps justify the extra cost. So when someone sees it, like, oh, okay, Kevin's product costs more. I can buy this other guy's, but look how cool it looks. Right. This would be great. You know, I could buy 10 of these and give them as Christmas presents or give them as whatever, you know, because it's a cool looking box. I don't got to rewrap it or do nothing to it. Do you it, put that? It's, it's a major component. So you can spend $2 for a, a really nice box on low volume. Mm-hmm. It might add $10 to your bottom line. Yeah. I mean, it, it's important. Do you actually, uh, for your uh, images, your main image itself, you know, Amazon says, hey, have a white background, make the image uh, occupy at least 80% of the space. Are you putting your product box in the background on that, or do you put those in the secondary uh, images? I put the product box, on some of my products, I do put the product box. And I put the product box kind of in the, on, the, on the background, and then the product in front of it, like you're just taking the product out, and it's kind of floating in front of it. Mm-hmm. I do do that on some, because it helps it, 
it, it stand out. Um, when someone's scrolling through a page of a lot of product, and it's clean. It's not a bunch of, you know, some people you'll come across and they'll put number one seller or best seller or they'll put some stupid logo or banner on there or whatever. I don't do any of that cluttered stuff. It looks nice and clean and, and natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps it, it, if you got a bright, colorful box, it helps it stand out. You know, if you, you know, a search engine page and they're showing 16 or 18 things and everybody's it all looks the same and then yours is going to draw the eye to it. And I'm like, oh, what's this? And yeah. let me check this one out. So it definitely helps. Yeah, I agree. I did that. Ex- now you can't feel I mean, one of the keys to that is you can't feel the, you want to make sure there's a, about a five or 10 pixel border, all a white border all the way around your picture. So if you bleed it all the way to the edge and bleed, it means that the image touches the edge. Then Amazon software sometimes will kick, you know, will suspend, they don't suspend the listing. They, they remove the photo. I yeah. had that happen initially when I first started, but as long as you leave some white space around all four edges, mm-hmm. it's usually okay. Awesome. It's got to look clean. You know, the Amazon, I'm going to like it if it looks all, like I said, and it's got a bunch of number one seller bursts and nasty looking stuff on there. But, yeah. Uh, if it looks professional and clean and, and, and it makes sense to be there. Do you use all the I'll images, do Kevin? Do you, do you fill out all the... Yeah, I use all... Uh, I think it's nine in most categories. Mm-hmm. I think six or seven I'm actually showing, and then they got to click that little plus sign to see the other two, but yes, I do. Okay. And, and, and I make sure they're all 1,500 by 1,500. I don't use any images from the from the factories. Um, you know, sometimes they'll provide you images. Usually they're low quality or not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you... And especially if you're not customizing the product much, it means everybody's going to have the same images. You know? yeah. So if, you, if you're buying a green spatula and 10 guys are buying the same green spatula, everybody's going to have the same images of somebody cooking with the green spatula and whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, I, custom, I I create all my own images. So I have a photographer that was a partner in another business I I had. I had ran for a while that's actually a, a top-level photographer. So we'll actually shoot product usage. You know, if it's a dog product, we'll go out and shoot dogs, you know, using the product. Or if it's a cooking product, you know, we'll show someone. That's important to have in your, you need to show your product in context. A lot of people just show, here's the left, right, top, bottom side, um, and that's it. You need to show someone or, or someone or something or your product in context because people can relate. Yeah. You know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a sound machine, an electronic sound machine, you know, it makes those wave sounds so you can sleep at night, you don't want to show that product. You want to show it sitting on a nightstand next to the bed. Yeah, with a person sleeping blissfully. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that's important because people, yeah. it puts the person in it. And then my product photography, often I use upgraded images in California because um, they can do, they know what they're doing and they do it good. And so often the actual straight up product shots, often it's upgraded images and let them do it. Okay, man, that's good stuff. The only thing is at least 1,500 by 1,500, not the thousand. Amazon says 1,000, but there's, you want people to be able to hover over it and really zero in on it. You can go higher. But I think at 1,500 by 1,500 is, a, is a, a pretty good starting place to make sure all your images are, are that. And then I'll test moving images around mm-hmm. and see what that can do to my... Sometimes you change the second image because the second image a lot of times is the hope. It, if they're on a search page, a lot of people don't realize it's on a 16 or you know, 18 listing result search page. A lot of times, it's, whatever your second image is, you, they can, there's a little, you can mouse over and you can actually see the second image on that search page. So that second image is pretty important too yeah yeah for sure okay cool man so jumping back to 
I got so many questions. I don't know how long this podcast is going to go, man, but we're going to, we got some good stuff. I think we might have to break this into two parts, but question about, um, your inspections. How long does it typically take your inspector to, uh, to do everything? Because a lot of times people are like, man, I need to get product right away. So if you're adding an inspection process in there, how much time does that add? Well, usually my inspection company wants, to, they ideally want 48 hours notice, but usually they'll do it in 24 hours. So if on a Monday, uh, my factory says, okay, everything's ready. I can let the inspection know on Monday and they're there on Wednesday because the time it's really Tuesday in China. They're there on Wednesday doing an inspection and then Thursday in China, which is Wednesday here, uh, I'll have the report back. So okay. two to three days total from, from hiring them to, or telling them to go, go get them to actually having my 30 page PDF with pictures and smell tests and everything we talked about earlier. Okay, great. And then you said uh, for protecting your products and I've had a lot of products damaged when they ship stuff out. You said a couple things that uh, caught my my attention. You use a, a five wall box and you also use corner protectors. And can you talk about the, if there's what the costs are to do that? And do you, have you had all suppliers able to do that? Or is that something that some of them kind of look at you? Well, sometimes weird? they'll balk. Some of the suppliers will balk at doing it because they, they, they're getting a bunch of boxes cheap from somewhere. But, um, if they, if they won't do the three, if they want to use a standard three wall and not up at the five, then I make them put a lot of extra protect. Like I just had a thousand items shipped over and they, they didn't want to do the five all. And so I said, well, you got to put the styrofoam on every corner. And so they, they literally went and at their expense and types, uh, tapes styrofoam to all four corners uh-huh. uh, to protect it. And a few still got damaged, um, but it protected the vast majority. Uh, but yeah, there usually is a little bit of an extra cost, but it, it's not, it's not huge. You know, maybe 50 bucks total for the, on an order of a thousand uh-huh. units. Okay, great. And then uh, you ship these products typically via sea or by air, air or express air? Well, how do you normally do I it? Do, I, I do both. Uh, it depends on, you know, like I just had a thousand items come in uh, and you know, pro- to ship them by air was going to be 2,500 bucks um, all in with all the, you know, I mean, with all the fees and then to ship them by sea was going to be like 1,900. So I just had the whole thing come over by air. Okay. Um, you know, but on other products, uh, they're too heavy. Um, you know, I have a, like one of my products, it's a 20 foot container that comes in a full 20 foot container, just in my product. So that one comes by C it's just would be too expensive. And then at Christmas time, I was having to spend um, the product we talked about earlier that I sell for $79. It cost me 20 mm-hmm. because they're selling so fast. Uh, I had them hold off on shipping them by C initially. I'm like, let me see what's going to happen. Go ahead and ship ship, you know, half the order by sea and hold the rest there. And I may have you shipping by sea or this thing sells slow when it starts selling against them by air. So I had to send them by air and they cost me $6 a unit hmm. to send them by air. So it bumped my cost from 20 bucks to $26. But when you're selling it at 79 and it's Christmas time mm-hmm. and you're selling $15,000 worth of them a day, mm-hmm. um, I don't care. I'll pay the money. Okay. Yeah. I'm still making a lot of money on, on it. Now, at a different uh, conversation we've had, and I thought this was pretty interesting, we were talking about pricing and how people end things in 95, 99, and you, you don't really do that, right? Like it's- uh, It depends. There's, there's, pricing is psychological. Um, typically, if you want to make something look more expensive, you put the uh, period and two decimals after it. So if, you're, if your product is, say, $39, if you just list it at 39, 39 it feels, less expensive than if you put 39.00. It's a, that's a psycho, marketing psychology. And also even prices feel higher quality. Um, the, not things in cents are 
typically lower quality or, or commodities a lot of times uh, in a consumer's mind. So if you price something at $39, you can probably sell more than if it was $39.95. You have to test it on your product. But there's a psychology to, to pricing. And if I do put cents, I don't put 95. I'll put 88 or or something like that or 28 or something odd that's unusual just to make it stand out and it's not the same as everybody else. Um, but yeah, pricing is where you price your item. It can be, can, can make a huge difference. And there's been studies done where people price them at 39 and 39.95 and it, it, it sold twice as many at 39 than it did at 39.95. Wow. Just because of perceived value? A perceived value. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Do you, when you're dealing with um, your suppliers overseas, you were talking about contracts and things like that. Do you do any NDAs or anything like that? Or do you find that they're kind of useless or what's your thought? They're pretty useless. I mean, you can do them, but it's just, it just adds more. It's just cumbersome. I don't, I don't do it. Even on the products I develop, I don't do it. Because if they're going to knock you off, they're going to knock you off. And what are you going to do? You're going to, you know, if I start moving millions of dollars of units through them, then yeah, we're going to, we're going to have a sit down talk. But at this, at this level, if it is, going to knock you off. Yeah. You know, it's, and you, what are you going to do? You're going to spend a lot of money, go hire a Chinese attorney and go after them. Right. Uh, and, and spend, you know, 50 grand or whatever to fight them over because you sold 2,000 units. Or it, it's If they want your business and you have a good relationship, they're not going to do that to you. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I do mention it in the, in the initial PIs and stuff. I say, you know, this is my product. You can't sell it somewhere else. You know, but but it's, it's, the paper's only as good as the people behind it. Yeah. Okay. And going across borders is, is difficult. And until you're doing some serious volume and on a product and it's a runaway hit, you know, I wouldn't worry about all that. I do trademark. I mean, I do trademark my brands and my products here. I do I do, do that. And I've actually had to, uh, ironically, uh, on Amazon, I've had to change two things. I, I One of my products, uh, you know, I do a trademark and patent search on all the products before I put them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... When you send them, submit it to the trademark office, you know, they look at this initial cursory look that they do and make sure you're not in violation. Mm-hmm. And then it takes some time. Sometimes it can take six months, nine months, a year to actually get your final papers back. So I can't wait to, to make the product in that time. So once I've done that cursory, then I'll go ahead and make start making the product. And like I said, some of my products, you know, there's a, I'm not picking the product and having it in stock two weeks later because I'm doing a lot of custom things and custom boxes. So sometimes there's a big lead time. Well, one of my products last fall, uh, I filed for the trademarks, and then the trademark office um, came back. Their attorneys came back and said, you know, after we looked at this further, you're, we think your mark might be a little too close to this other one we found when we were doing some research. So I ended up, I probably would have been okay, but I ended up having to change my, my boxes where I reprinted in China. So I had to call the factory and say, hey, put all those boxes away we got to make a new box and put a new logo. And, you know, I've changed the logo. I've changed the brand name. So that cost me a little bit of money. But I'd rather have that happen there mm-hmm. than have a 1,000 units sitting at Amazon. And somebody else, you know, reports me to Amazon as having uh, infringing on their mark and my account getting suspended or something. Mm-hmm. And then I had another one, another product that came out that it went through trademark and everything was fine with the trademark office in, in D.C. And what they do is they publish it in like a little magazine. It's a little gazette. And they publish your trademark, and people have, I forget the exact amount of time, it's 30 days or 90 days or some period of time, short period of time, where someone can raise an objection. Mm-hmm. And there and there's a, a law firm that raised an objection to one of my marks, my trademarks, and said, hey, this is too close to us. And I probably would have won the case and could have, would have been fine, and, but 
this was a huge law firm um, out of Switzerland that had offices in the U.S. And on that particular trademark that they had an issue, they had they had actually trade they had spent probably three hundred grand trademarking every kind of which way from China to use this product, this name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't worth fighting. So I ended up having to ch- do another change uh, on the packaging um, okay. for that. Nice. Okay. And then, um, man, you know what? There's so many things we can talk about. I think this is what I want to do, Kevin, if you're okay with this, um, because I don't want the, the podcast to run crazy long. Maybe we can come back and do a part two where we start talking about all these other things. Would you be cool with that? Yeah, that'd be fine. Because sure. there's things, you don't have to answer these right now, but just so that people know, um, I want to go back and talk about your 3D printing. I think that's awesome. Nobody ever talks about that. How you do your tooling for your products, you know, how you customize things to sell things at two to three times the price point of everybody else. How you do, um, even some of, some of your more ninja uh, pay-per-click stuff and your ACOS, how high can you go um, and why, you know, what you do, for example, when you're running low on inventory, raising prices or not raising them. You had a really cool thing we were talking about once about getting reimbursed for products and there's just money sitting there in Amazon that I'm going to want to talk about. You talked about going retail and how that's going to be a big thing for you to get to that $10 million uh, in, uh, by 2019. Your session percentages, I mean, we can go on and on, right? There's just so much and it's going to go another <laughs> who knows how long. So I want to get everybody, give everybody a taste of your awesomeness here. I think this is this has done it. And then, um, man, let's just set this up for a part two, guys. If you guys want it, definitely go on to the ampmpodcast.com. And go to our Facebook group and tell us, hey, man, you know, Kevin King's awesome. We want to hear more. So if you guys like that, definitely do that. So, hey, Kevin, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. And, and I mean, you really, I don't think you let left anything. Uh, you didn't hold anything back. You just let it all out. It was awesome. No problem. I'm here. I, I mean, I want to see people succeed. You know, I don't want direct competition. So I don't think I let enough out where someone's going to come compete against me. And I'm, but uh, I, I would like to see, to see people succeed in this. And there's a lot of people that are, are scared to do it or they're afraid or don't know what, don't know what to do. But if you treat it like a business and, and get into it, you can, there's, there's serious opportunity here and you can, you can make serious money. Yeah, for sure. And I also want to talk next time a little bit because you don't only use Alibaba. So we'll talk about some of the other sources that, uh, that you use. I think you mentioned that you use another one that's even more so than Alibaba. So we can talk about that as well. Lots of good stuff, guys. So yeah, Kevin, uh, once again, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. And then, uh, yeah, we'll get you on another, uh, another episode. Cool. Glad to, glad to have been here. Thanks, Thanks, buddy. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you. So there you go, guys. How awesome was that interview. I mean, it was just so full of information. The audio quality was a little bit off, but uh, I mean, other than that, it was just insane. All of these info bombs just dropped, right? How cool was that? (laughs) That's so awesome. So anyways, we're gonna get Kevin back on. We have to, right? Let me close out this episode by asking you to please head over to Periscope. If you don't have the app, download it now and follow me at Manny Coates. And um, I do videos every single day on Periscope and we go over all kinds of gold nuggets and information. And you just, you get an opportunity to get to know me on a a more personal level. I I don't, it's not always 100% business. So it's pretty cool. And of course, go to ampmpodcast.com and uh, post your questions there. There's a little voicemail box you can click and, and leave a voicemail. We would love that. And you can click over from there to our Facebook group. It's a private group. Um, go there, request access, and we'll uh, we'll get you in there. It's called the FBA uh, Amazon, or sorry, the Amazon FBA High Rollers uh, group. And I'd love to see you there. Myself, Guillermo's in there. 
a lot of our uh, high-level guys are in there. So anyways, guys, that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to the AM PM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider, insider tools, tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.